Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our draft countdown shows, and today we've got a big one, the quarterback show. Here to talk to, about, talk to me about, about it is Gabe Ferguson. Gabe, how you doing? Hey, Ken. I'm, I'm good. Um, interesting uh, position to talk about. It's not something that Ravens fans have had to really think about too much over the past few years, but, you know, times are changing. You know, there's a little bit of, of question up in the air about the long-term uh, you know, stability at the position. So it's, it's, I think it's an important position to look at in this draft. So uh, thanks for, you know, having me. I'm looking forward to having this chat with you. Absolutely. So you guys know Gabe and his uh, friend, Jordan Coe, they regular contributors to this pod and they had their own in in the past at least. And uh, anyway, great guys that, that, uh, that really know football and I always appreciate talking with. Uh, So, you know, the Ravens QB situation with Lamar and Huntley, uh, at least has to be addressed, one would think, in some way with Huntley. Huntley will be entering year four. He's a restricted free agent this year. The Ravens did put him on an, on a um, uh, match-only tender. What is it? The low tender. Uh, so it's, it's not a lot of money, but it's probably more money than they want to pay. They'd probably rather reset the clock with another quarterback. Um, not sure about that. Where do you fall on that? Um, I, I, I don't think that you want to pay Huntley top dollar. Um, and even if even, even the top tender dollar, to be honest, like mm-hmm. that's, he seems like a replacement level player to me. Um, he's had some moments, you know, where I think it's been good, but he's also had a lot of moments where you're like, can he really do this consistently? Like, I think that's just the level, the, the play to play, like game to game consistency from him is, isn't quite there. And even for someone who is a backup, you know, quarterback, you'd want, I think you'd want to have just a little bit more higher level opportunity from that position. Let me ask you this. If you're, if you're Tyler Huntley's agent, um, what are you looking for, for him in terms of a contract? Are you at a point where you're saying, Tyler, we got to look carefully about survival at this point, or you tell me, Tyler, whether you want to try and really make some money in this league, which is still possible, I think. You know, if you had to play half the season or 10 games and you play pretty well this year, that's a chance to make some real money if you if you play well. But there's a whole lot of, you know, there's a couple hurdles there that have to be have to be climbed. Or do you think you do something where you try and get a two-year $5 million deal or a three-year $6 million year, which would literally, you know, quadruple probably the total amount of money he makes in his NFL career. I mean, I think that's an ideal probably situation for him. Um, and, and that might be playing his cards a little bit too strong um, based mm-hmm. on what we've seen, but you know, the backup quarterback position is a position that gets paid in the NFL. You know, sometimes they're, you're making five, six, $7 million a year. Um, 
so I, I think there might be a team that's interested. You know, th there's often been conversations among Ravens fans about what could you get in a trade for Tyler Huntley? And I don't know if the Ravens ever explored that or not, but that never came to fruition. So I don't know if there is really a market for him. Um, I, I think, you know, there is some interest after the preseason, there was a lot of buzz, you know, last year, you know, he got a, he got a lot of hype. Um, but then he comes in to play when Lamar gets hurt and the offense just kind of like falls apart. Mm -hmm. um, so you see that he's not the same player, not even really on the same stratosphere, I, I would say. So it's, um, it's, I think you try to get as much as you can if you're him, um, but, but what that means, and maybe it is some like a two-year deal where not very much guaranteed money is given. And, it, mm -hmm. and, and some of it is like, you, you'll get like maybe like a million and a half guaranteed out of like a $5 million deal. And if an opportunity comes up and you do get put into action again, and maybe you, you, you look a little bit better than, than maybe you're kept, or maybe you can you know make a career out of yourself because of that. And he has had some opportunities over the past couple of years. There, I mean, he's right now, he's only tendered with a low tender. So the Ravens have a right of first refusal only on that. So any team can sign him to an offer sheet for, say, three years, six million, three years, five million even. And I got to say, I'm not I'm not sure I wouldn't take that if I were in Tyler Huntley's position. Maybe I wouldn't just because, hey, this is a chance to play this year. If it doesn't work out, I will have another chance to go to camp somewhere again next year and try and earn a spot. Um, and you got to play the odds, you know, you might, you might be playing a little bit of a long shot, but if the long shot hits, you're going to make a lot of money relative to, to what you would take at 5 million. And I, I, I just, I'm not sure. I, I, you know, in, in life in general, less risk is less return. You want to take more risk. You have to get, you, 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 you have more expected return out of it. I'm just not sure there's a lot of expected return there for Huntley by slow playing his hand right now. Uh, I think I think I would I would take the money I could get in in this particular at this particular juncture juncture and consider it the bulk of my remaining earnings probably lifetime at anything but but definitely at football. Yeah, I, I agree. From his perspective, if that opportunity is there, I'd probably jump on it. Mm -hmm. All right, so you know it's a it's an interesting draft for the quarterbacks. Uh, the top I, we didn't really talk about about drafting a replacement for Lamar here, but you know I guess one of the other questions is. Do the Ravens have a need, even if they're just resetting the Huntley situation? Do they have a need and do they have an opportunity here, maybe more importantly, to draft a one and a half to two year developmental quarterback who might be the guy who is the replacement for Jackson if for whatever reason Jackson is either traded or leaves next year? Yeah, I think that's probably you know where the bread and butter in this draft is for the Ravens in terms of the quarterback position. And we'll get to those players in a little bit more detail, but um, it, it seems unlikely that where the Ravens are drafting, they'll have one of the top talents available to them. Um, and I think there is a pretty clear divide in terms of the, the tiers of quarterbacks that are going to be in this, in this draft. Um, I think there's, there's the starting caliber and then there's like kind of the developmental backup caliber and there's not much in between. I would agree. There's there's really only one guy, maybe two, that I think are kind of between those two levels. But uh, but yeah, it's not much. I don't I don't think it's it's a barbelled quarterback draft. It's not a lot of good round three options that I really see. I think you know you got some guys later that you you just allow them to fall to you if if they uh, if they don't happen to do, uh, then you get somebody else. One of the things we kind of talked a little bit about in the uh, production meeting was what 
players have the Ravens drafted at quarterback in the past. And there's definitely been a shift in, I hate the word paradigm, but, but in, in their type of guy that they draft. And, you know, they've changed somewhat with the league in this respect. But if you look back, I'll go through these guys. In 1996, they drafted John Stark, who was a taller pocket passer, uh, never made the NFL. Wally Richardson in 1997 played briefly in the NFL, same kind of taller pocket passer. Chris Redman in 2000, again, 6'3", 200 plus, another guy who was in the pocket, obviously played for the Ravens for a period of time, then made a remarkable comeback with the uh, the Falcons. Wes Pate in 2002 did not make the NFL, but he, but he was around and, and a, a larger pocket passer. Derek Anderson, who was drafted by the Ravens, never played for them, but went on to play for the Browns. And Keith Wenning in 2014. They're all pocket passers, 6'2 and up, that the Ravens drafted. Certainly kind of a type fit around the draft of Flacco, who's kind of the, the archetype of that group in terms of being a large statue in the pocket with some limited mobility, but not very much and, and tremendous arm talent. Uh, not saying that, that that always created the greatest results, but he certainly had, I think tremendous arm talent. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty un- undeniable that it was, that was his ca- calling card, I think as a quarterback. Well, since then, and not, it's not all since then, some of it was before, they drafted Josh Harris in 2004. Uh, by the way, I was under the mistaken impression that Josh Harris is Joshua Harris, who is Lamar Jackson's QB guru. Apparently, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Josh Harris works in the final expense business, which I'm very familiar with. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he owns a owns an insurance agency, as I understand it. Or uh, maybe it's a, a – uh, anyway, doesn't matter exactly what he's. But he works in the final expense business. Troy Smith in 2005, you know, certainly a mobile quarterback – Tyrod Taylor, 2011, Trace McSorley in 2019, all dual threat guys. Uh, they didn't draft Tyler Huntley or Anthony Brown. Anthony uh, Tyler Huntley, more of a dual threat guy. Anthony Brown, I think we really saw last year, is more of a pocket passer, but mm-hmm. a little bit more mobility than than some of those other guys we mentioned earlier. Yeah, um, I, I think, I mean, you mentioned earlier that, that the NFL has changed to a certain extent, that, that type of pocket passer statue in the pocket is is a dying breed in a lot of senses um you you really need to have some some mobility some ability to play um outside the pocket to to make some plays with your feet whether it's picking up yardage on a scramble which which is important to to move the chains at times um, but also just to be able to extend plays and and Mm -hmm. and make some throws on the move um that that really kind of opens up the offense when when the structure breaks down a little bit to have somebody who can still make plays that's really important um and I, i think the ravens have obviously embrace that um lamar jackson is you know one of the the best examples of that in the nfl um but but with the other players kind of like the the second third tier players that they've drafted recently have also been um you know similar in in style and and you know even anthony brown who you said you know he's more of a pocket passer in terms of what he's done compared to like jackson or or huntley um but he can move a little bit too um Mm -hmm. and you know he has that ability to to create with his feet as well so um and and maybe some of that is because of you know bringing on lamar and having him as that type of person as the like the focus of of your offense and you want to keep that type of style um with the other players that you bring in as potential backups um but i I think that's also just a a change in the way the nfl has kind of moved over the years Mm -hmm. all right well outstanding how about we jump right into our top 10 here you're the guest why don't you start off with your number 10 guy and i'll uh have some thoughts i'm sure about him so my number 10 is, is someone who actually fits pretty well into that mold um it's it's max duggan out of tcu who um you know 
took the the horn frogs on on a ride this year um you know they they exceeded all expectations and made it into the into the the final four of, of the championship um i think they they you know he he plays really tough um he is someone who can pick up yards with his with his feet um i think he has 20 plus career rushing touchdowns like he's someone who can actually do things um and he plays you know hard he he's he's not the most talented guy he's not the biggest guy he doesn't have the strongest arm but um there's a hard-nosed kind of character to the way he plays that you, they really appreciate so i think he's draftable i think he's someone you could bring in potentially and and be you know a backup who could be a potential dual threat for you yeah, he's improved a little bit as a passer year over year at TCU and uh, up to approximately just under nine yards per attempt the last two seasons combined. Uh, you know, good good ratio of touchdowns to interceptions, better than some of the other guys who are on my list, to, to be sure. And he's got 28 rushing touchdowns, as you mentioned. By the way, this is something, I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you go to, to college football, sports reference college football, mm-hmm. I do not t- trust the rushing totals there. A lot of the, the quarterbacks have negative rushing totals. Now, it doesn't happen to be the problem for Duggan, but I, I did notice it for a number of other quarterbacks, just if anybody's watching that. So that, I think, is a feature of college stats um, because they t- count sacks as rushing yards. So yards lost on sacks count towards your rushing total. That's interesting because Duggan's totals almost look too high. Maybe that's Maybe that's the case. Maybe it makes sense that that would be the case. They're, they're usually very good. So I don't think they'd have a mistake in what they're doing. It just, it was strange, but that's a, that's a, it's a very valid point. If that's it. Uh, I think that's a good pick. He wasn't on my list. He's not on my honorable mention list either. So I'll move on to my number 10 guy who I'm probably, I bet you've watched play a little bit of football and that's Stetson Bennett of Georgia. Um, there are some things to like about him. You start though with he's he'll be 26 in October, yeah. and you, you know you don't want to draft older quarterbacks. One thing I will say is that you might really get a serviceable, cheap backup quarterback if you're willing to accept some age, and your your goal is only to get a one contract quarterback. I think in some ways that's what the Ravens got with Tyler Huntley. Uh, you know, I think that, I don't think they expected him to, to be a, a second contract. And, and, you know, if it works out great, but if it, if it doesn't, then you're not out too much because it's, it's in his case, a UDFA, but in other cases, it can be a six or a seven where you get your, uh, you pick up your quarterback. Um, Bennett certainly has athletic measurables, which are better than you'd expect. And one of the things I like about him, even though he's short, he's 5'11", 192, is he's got 10 inch hands, which are really outsized for his body generally speaking, 10-inch hands, large hands in general, and I'd say 10 inches and up are, are is really good. Nine and a half is kind of a kind of a Mendoza line. Below that, you, you have additional fumble risk, and you don't want quarterbacks who, who take a hit in the pocket uh, and, and are at risk of a fumble uh, significantly. Uh, Georgia walk-on, went back to JUCO, came back to Georgia on scholarship, won two national titles. It's literally like a Rudy story in terms of what he went through. Um, mobile enough, uh, but he's not a read option guy. Not the way I would look at it. He'll occasionally will leave the pocket, uh, more of a straight line, uh, uh, threat in terms of a runner. We saw that with Huntley. I don't think Huntley has much wiggle in his run. And, um, because of that, uh, you know, he's, he's really not a, not a threat to pick up a lot of yards on a scramble, uh, balls out very quickly from Stetson Bennett. And it doesn't have to be schemed that way because Georgia's offensive line is exceptional. But at 2.53 time to throw on average, um, he still found the ability to move around the pocket a little bit and create some windows. 
Um, I thought he did a, a really good job avoiding pressure, which is a lot on the offensive line, but avoiding sacks as well. And that is really a function, as I see it, of his quick release more than anything else. It's it's amazing, but quick release quarterbacks really seem to be a fairly new thing in the NFL. And I'm sure they had guys in the 1950s who they called quick release quarterbacks, but Dan Marino is the first quarterback I really remember being a true quick release guy. And uh, it just it, they seem like you get more of them as as time goes on. And a lot of quarterbacks end up being that guy after being a guy who liked to wander around the pocket. And the, the best example of that is in the division in Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, I mean, with Roethlisberger, I think it's kind of that was an offensive line thing, right? Like they did yeah. not they did not protect well, so he kind of had to transition into the guy who held on to the ball for three plus seconds to the guy who got rid of the ball in two seconds. And that's a yeah. huge, huge gap. But that's a pretty much what he was from like when he was in his prime. Some he was shaking off tacklers and extending plays and and throwing some crazy balls that end up getting completed somehow. Um, but that's that's. It's definitely, I think, for him, a, a feature of, of what was around him. Um, but but back to Stetson Bennett. So I had him as number nine. So, you know, we mm-hmm. can um, mention that. But I think part of the attraction to Bennett, especially from the Ravens, is he played in Todd Monken's offense for two years. Yeah. So that that's a huge bonus for someone coming directly from college into the same offense, potentially. I mean, it would probably be some changes to it. But, like, there will be a lot of similarities. He can pick it up right on the fly, be ready to kind of come in and step in if needed, like right away, I think. So that's that's a huge um, bonus for a player like that. And, you know, you mentioned the age thing. I think that is something to consider, um, especially for, you know, if, if you're taking a quarterback earlier, because then you have less room to develop them. They're probably closer to where they are at their developmental peak when you're at 25, 26 years old. But for someone like Bennett, who's going to probably be a career backup if, if he does that in the NFL, um, you know, he, the age doesn't does really matter. Like, I mean, he, he might even be a little bit more advanced in some ways than, than he would be if he was someone who's, you know, 2021. 20, I, th- I think that's a great point. And, and with a first round quarterback in particular, think about it. I mean, that's a seven year deal you have with that guy. He's five on the, on the contract with the one year extension. Then he's two, he's two uh, uh, tag years. In addition to that, we're seeing that play out with Lamar Jackson. So if you get your guy, you have him for seven years. Um, in the case of a, of a 26 year old, you know, the, the notion of buying into his age 31 and 32 seasons is not that exciting I, for the, for those extra two, obviously. Yeah. But it's plenty exciting if you can get that guy in the sixth round to just have him for four. And and it's a it's a terrific way to solve your problem. If he ends up being Tom Brady, then you have him for six and, and you have a chance to to sign him after that. So it's a it's a I, I think I think potentially it's it's a measure. It's an opportunity for the Ravens to extract value in this draft is to draft a quarterback late. Because I think there is a, it may be that Munkin working with uh, Stetson would be good and, and, and they could bring a lot of elements to the Georgia offense and they would, you know, have a second teacher of that offense almost in the room that's able to, you know, direct people very well within that. I think that'd be, that'd be great. Uh, on the other hand, I, I think it could be someone else. Cause I, I hope Munkin is going to be who he says he is in terms of morphing to the talent that he has. So, you know, he's he's had a lot of these players, in fact, in the, in the past, uh, you know, including including OBJ. So hopefully he can get something out of him that uh, uh, that he didn't at Cleveland anyway. Uh, I did. I, I was one more thing I want to say about the one contract quarterback. No, um, I think the only thing other thing otherwise to worry about Stetson was the was that he's a um, a 
player where context is very important. He's obviously played on a great team with a lot of great players around him, a lot of great offensive weapons, and with a great offensive coordinator. And it's just it it is the tailor made situation for him. And so uh, it was good. I mean, there are things I saw. I liked his ability to move left and still be able to throw. Right hand quarterbacks aren't often often able to do that. I mean, it's not like he doesn't have positive qualities. We could point to balls out quickly. Balls generally pretty accurate. Um, it's it's he did have a little bit of a fumbling problem last year. Uh, that's a little bit unexpected with his hand size, but uh, uh, you know. Any, anyway, I, I, there's not enough there for me to jump up into the third or fourth round to take Stetson Bennett. But if he was oh, available yeah. around, you know, five six, sure. Yeah, I, I agree. He, he's definitely someone who would be more of a more of like a, a, late, a late round kind of flyer. Um, just someone like you said to come in, you know, be able to contribute right away potentially if needed. It's not someone you're looking at as like a long-term solution, but someone that, you know, would be a cheap option as a backup quarterback. All right. So Stetson Bennett was my number 10. We already did your number nine though, right? Cause that's Bennett. That's correct. So back to me again, Jake Hayner yep. of Fresno state. Uh, okay. 60207, 9.375 hands, 29 and 70 and three quarters inch arms, which is not great. Uh, but honestly, arm length is not as important as hand size for a quarterback. Uh, maybe you have some some throwing over the top uh, issues that come with a little bit shorter arms. Uh, he's already 24 years old, so he's one of the older guys. A very consistent passer through four years at Washington. Sorry, four years total, one year at Washington, then three more at, at Fresno State. 68 and 18 touchdowns, interception, with a 107.9 career passing rating. And if you look at him year by year, hardly differed from that. So uh, that is a, by the, another difference. And you mentioned the college rushing statistics for quarterbacks include sacks, but the, the college passer rating can be expressed in two different ways. And, and one looks like you're looking at a lot of perfect ratings because a lot of people in the 140s and 150s, but uh, the, the college passer rating is not bounded at the top and it's calculated differently. So uh, that's something that will show up from time to time. I uh, had a high ankle sprain, which limited him. It was out for three games of 22, I believe. Um, so there will be a little bit of question about coming back from injury, about how severe uh, that is. Uh, the thing I noticed on tape about him is he has some stare down tendencies. He's not alone in this group with regard to that, but there are some guys who um, actually actively no look the play. And it doesn't mean they're, they're not out of uh, using peripheral vision to see the receiver they want to throw to, but they're not staring directly at him. And this Hayner, it's like stare, stare, stare. He's trying to line up a lot of times exactly the right point to hit a specific receiver. That does something negative to you that people don't talk about because it's an interception risk to be sure. People can close the windows and a safety can come behind. And if you miss that throw at all, then there's a risk of, of getting an interception. But more than that, it really restricts yak for your receivers. Mm -hmm. If you're stare, 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 that safety is probably going to get to the point to make a tackle before your guy can uh, you know, still make a cackle away from the third line of defense and, and potentially run away from somebody. So I uh, didn't like that about him. One thing I did like is that the Fresno State RPO game goes all the way into the mesh. And uh, the Ravens have run a kind of a wave at the mesh offense the last few years under Roman. And I think that a lot of that might be baked into what Lamar is really comfortable doing. I mean, it would make sense. I don't know if it's 100% true, but Lamar does not seem to reacquire the field as well. So it doesn't have as much turn your back play action or go all the way into the mesh RPO where he still might throw from that point. So we, the Fresno State offense is all built around that and that that uh, uh, you know was shows up all over the place. 
He's played in the Mountain West Conference. It's not that great. He did play at Washington. That's a little bit better. And that playing in the Pac-12, it's a, it's barely in the Power Five. Um, it did show up against against Pac-12 opponents. He had a big win over UCLA at the Rose Bowl in 21. Uh, it's probably his signature uh, win as a college player. Uh, and I think he could meet the Ravens style more or less in terms of continuing on with RPOs if that's indeed going to be a part of Munkin's offense uh, if Jackson were to be out or, or missing for an extended period. Yeah, so Hainer for me was someone who was just outside of my top 10. Um, I guess you would call it honorable mention. Um, I, I think, you know, there's some things you like about him. Um, like like you mentioned, um, I think he can be fairly accurate. He doesn't have a big arm to me. Mm-hmm. Like it's not something he's going to, not really going to get the ball there in a hurry. Um, but he, he can, you know, make accurate throws. Um, it's, you know, the, the RPO part of it is something that is you know, attractive potentially, if that's something the Ravens are going to do, um, you know, I mean, that's something a lot of college quarterbacks come from to a certain extent. So there's a lot of that around that's proliferated, obviously from college into the NFL. Um, but I think that he just, he would be like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe like the last round kind of guy. Um, Cause I don't, I don't think he has the athletic upside of some of the other quarterbacks, um, but he does, you know, offer you kind of a baseline ability, I think. So he would be in the mix for me. Um, nothing really stood out to, to, for me as like, this is his, his kind of like calling card or like his trump card that he really brings that somebody, somebody else doesn't. So that's why I kind of had him outside of my top 10. All right. Fair enough. We move on to your number eight guy then. Okay. So my number eight. So my number eight is someone might, other people might have a little bit higher, but I have some concerns with um, is Clayton Toon. Um, out of Houston, um, so I, I like I like a lot what I of what I saw out of him. Um, another guy who's a little bit sneaky athletic, I would say. Like he's he's more athletic than w- what you might expect. Um, I, I think he's played at a pretty high level consistently for for a couple of years now. Um, you know, there's a lot of you, you'll see some big time throws out of him. Um, he does he doesn't have like the biggest arm, but I think you know he has he's a solid arm. You know, someone who I would compared to maybe like a Kenny Pickett in terms of like arm talent, someone from, mm-hmm. from last year. Um, he's a little bit undersized for the position. I think he's what, six two, like 200. Um, so th- that's, you know, size is always going to be something of a, of a lim- limiting factor. He's not as small as like a Stetson Bennett, for instance. Um, but I do think he, he, he does a lot of things well. Um, obviously didn't play in the best conference either. I think was at the American athletic conference. Um, yeah, it's the old, old uh, is it, is it called the Sun Belt now or, or is, is it, is it the American, it, I, whatever it, used to it, yeah, be, it, it changes so much. right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm not even sure w- which one he's in, um, but it's not the best, you know, quality of, of competition, competition, but save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app, get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It's, um, you know, they, 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 they play pretty well and they, they do play some, some bigger teams. Um, and I, th- I think he's someone who can translate into the NFL. All right, great. Tune actually happens to be my number eight guy as well. Huh. And uh, a few things about him. So 6'2", 220 is, is really one of the bigger guys. And that's his combine weight. And he ran 464 at that rate. 
really outstanding jumps. So there's some athletic ability there. You mentioned a lot of this, but here's the one that that really is shocking. A 689 three cone for a quarterback yeah. that size. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And I, I'll tell you, there is we've, we've made light of this on the other cornerback show because I think cornerbacks have a um, – it's like putting a cross to a vampire in terms of them wanting to do the three cone drill. It can like only cost them money at the combine. Because they because all they're expected to be unbelievable. Yeah. You have, you know, but a Hutchinson for the for the Lions mm-hmm. was like a six sixty seven last year or something. And, and you know, if they're at seven oh five, it could literally cost them millions of dollars if they're a Devon Witherspoon or a or a Christian Gonzalez in this draft <laughs> in, in terms of that. So uh, they don't want to risk it. And and I understand that uh, from that perspective. Uh Toon, a big time play extender, uh time to throw a three twenty this year on average, which is just ridiculous. And if you watch the plays where he extends, tremendous tendency to find Tank Dell, who's one of the receivers I like. He's my number 10 yeah. receiver as well. But he, he it, it's, it's like Lamar and Andrews, it's Toon and Dell in terms of, uh, of uh, who he's looking for. The Houston play-action game is just the antithesis of what was going on at Fred Izzo State. It's a really half-assed play-action game. A lot of what I would call forward-facing fakes and hand-checks where they don't really go all the way into the mesh uh, to show that they think they can get read steps out of a linebacker by just showing the football. And, 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 and we saw, I think a fair amount out of that, out of Flacco when he was not really turning his back is he do a fake to a running back from the side to try and get a read, but it was very half-hearted attempts. And we certainly have seen a fair amount of that from Jackson in terms of the types of, of, of play action attempts he's uh, put out there. So it's not the strongest part of, of Lamar's game, but um, with tune, I also didn't see a whole lot of success from him when he did turn his back on the field. So it may be a reacquisition problem. If I had to say like what part of his game really doesn't fit the Ravens, cause I really love the play extension. It's the, the, the lack of adaptability to play action, and it may be schematic, but I think more likely it's it's based on some limitation of his. And that's a big area for the Ravens because you you have some receiving threats who are the, the, the biggest receiving threats the Ravens have now are Mark Andrews and OBJ and, and the other tight ends are guys who you really need to get open between level two and level three and find space for. And part of that is going to be getting a, a, a take the lid off wide receiver. But the other part of that is getting back to a play action game that, that has something to it. So Toon lost some points with that. But he's got fantastic passing statistics, 70 and 20 uh, touchdowns, interceptions the last two seasons combined. So that was good. Um, what else do I have? Cheap guy. Uh, you get him late. You get him for one contract. I think he's one of the really good options for that that could – could fit the Ravens if Monken can can figure him out in terms of, of making play action work for him. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point about the play action. Uh, it's not something I'd really um, heavily considered in, in my evaluation, but I think some quarterbacks just don't like it. Um, like Ben Roethlisberger classically, or I mean, historically, like, is someone who'd never liked play action. He liked to have his eyes downfield and seeing he doesn't like to turn his back to the, to the, to the, um, what's going on in front of him to the field. Um, so, and, and maybe that's just the kind of player that, that Toon is as well. So it could be something that's taught. You know, I think Monken is a good teacher. That's something that he's, and he's, he's adaptable to his players as well. So maybe he can, uh, you know, work, work an offense in around a player if, if need be, if he, if he had to come in and, and be kind of like a, a backup for a certain amount of time. You know what I thought? That's something that somebody who really understands quarterback play should have a machine for. 
So basically, you, you teach turn your back play action during the offseason. And you basically you show a screen to the quarterback and you, then you ask him to expect, given you know a, a certain formation of players, where the routes are going to break open and what he should be looking for as soon as he turns his back back up. And then he has a he has a, a the screen flashback up to him with the situation after he turns his back to the field. And he has to make a quick choice, maybe on a machine of some sort to, to make decisions. But I think there's got to be a way yeah. to teach that naturally, the way they teach you to hit the brakes quickly in driver's ed, they, or they teach you really not to hit the brakes quickly. They tell you how, teach you how long it takes you to go from, from, from moving to stopping so that they scare you <laughs> and, in that regard. Yeah, yeah. To a certain extent, it's really a question about how quickly does the quarterback process information. Yeah. Um, and you know, there, there's been some chatter this off season, um, leading up to the draft about this this new test about the thing is called the S two test, which is yes. um, tests about how basically like how quick does the quarterback process? How much? How does he intake information and make decisions like on the fly? Um, and I think you know Brock Purdy was the the highest scoring player last year coming out of the draft and obviously he was thrown in to to being a starting quarterback um after being a seventh round pick and he he excelled um and he was in a he was in an offensive system that that worked really well um but sometimes it's it's the mental ability um that really allows a quarterback who doesn't necessarily have the best physical talents to to be an, an excellent or at least quality starting quarterback in the nfl so that's something to i think really pay attention to with these players yeah, that's, I, I've I heard about the the S two test, and there, there's some stuff out online about it. I want to see if there's a way you could take the test, you know, like <laughs> see if it's like luminosity or whatever some of those mental games for old people are like to see if yeah. you could, if, if you if you could uh, uh, train yourself to kind of be better at it. But it does sound like a much better test than the Wonderlick in some respects. And I'm not saying the Wonderlick doesn't have value for say learning a playbook. Maybe the Wonderlick would probably be a, a might be a good way to to figure that out but s2 sounds like much more useful for in-game stuff doesn't it yeah i think so and i think you know i'm not sure how long it's been implemented this might just be the second season or at least it's the second season we've, we've heard about it but um i think there will be some data that comes out you know over the years and see how well it correlates with the quarterback success in the nfl all right great well uh, we just hit on both our number eight guys how about we move on to number seven okay so my number seven um is dorian thompson robinson um so he's um i I might have a little bit of a soft spot for him because i'm a ucla alum and i watch a lot of ucla football so i've watched a lot of dorian thompson robinson over the past few years um he's made significant strides as as a quarterback um he was kind of like really just an athlete when he first came into into the nfl and, and the quarterback position was was a bit foreign to him um, but he, he has come a long way um, in terms of uh, one thing is the processing we we're just talking about um, his ability to work um, in in the you know the system that he's in in Chip Kelly's offense. It's a little bit of a gimmicky offense you have to kind of admit. Um, but um, I think in the short and intermediate game, he's very good. He's, he makes quick decisions. He, he makes he throws an accurate ball. Um, the you know the deep ball I think is a bit of a concern with him. I, I think his deep accuracy is is not great. Um, but he offers massive upside as, as a playmaker, as someone who can make plays with his feet. Um, you can run, you know, read option with him, all kinds of things that, you know, the, the Ravens have done in the past with Lamar Jackson to a certain extent. Um, 
I think he could fit directly into that type of play and be a dynamic player as, as a dual threat quarterback. Yeah, Thompson is my number six guy, and I love him too in terms of a lot of what he brings. The deep ball has been not a great issue, a 98.2 passer rating. Um, I think the the problem I would see is he really hasn't improved that much over his years at UCLA in, in Agra, especially over the last three, I'll say. He's been a kind of at a plateauish kind of level. kind of worry about that given his age. He'll be 24 in November. Yeah. It's not like there aren't other quarterbacks in this group that are that are that age. It's not like he couldn't still be good, but you're missing some of the potential upside of having a 22-year-old quarterback when you've got a 24-year-old quarterback. Um, the thing that that really busted everybody up, and I think is a is a uh, you know a reason to be very optimistic about him, is the velocity he he put on on the books at the combine, 62 miles per hour. And by comparison, Joe Flacco. What do you think he threw in terms of miles per hour? Because he certainly is a flamethrower in, in, in those terms. I mean, I'd probably guess in the high 50s. 55. 55, huh? Yeah, so that's it. Thompson you know, definitely got a, got a very strong arm. Yeah. I guess Will Levis should have been up there too, but I think Will Levis is more of a heavy artillery guy than a, than <laughs> a, uh, uh, a, a uh, rocket thrower. Anyway, uh, that's it's something to really like. Uh, good developmental prospect. He's got uh, you know 28 career rushing TDs, so I think he could do a lot of the read options. There's definitely he has a um, electrifying running style, which is more like what you see at a Lamar. A lot of running in third gear, trying to make the next guy miss, rather than running as fast as he can in a straight line and either sliding, getting out of bounds, or even trying to avoid a tackle. Uh, at top speed, I, I'm after obviously watching Lamar. It's going to be very difficult to go to any other style and be happy with it. But everybody has their own limitations about at what gear they're maneuverable, and uh, and Thompson seems to be pretty high, like Lamar's, which is good. Uh, he had a a mix of RPO fakes in terms of sales values. He had some good ones and he had some not great ones. That's something I was really looking for in quarterbacks in this class because I think play action is so important to the Ravens. Um, He went all the way to the mesh on some cases. uh, Others he did not. Generally, it looks like I'd say he reacquires the field fairly well um, and will get some false steps from linebackers. So that's that's something that I would would put in the slight positive uh, column for him. Uh, lots of second read throws. So I like seeing that. It means a lot less staring down, a lot of moving on and then throwing the ball. So that was good. Uh, really low sack rate. Much of that is his escapability. And as you know, as a UCLA fan, it's not really the US, UCLA offensive line. Yeah. They gave up a lot of pressure. And, and Dorian Robinson was just, ex- Thompson Robinson was exceptional at avoiding uh, that pressure. Uh, so I thought that was good. Um, he doesn't have the size knocks of a lot of the other quarterbacks in this class at 6'2", 203. So is he a little light in the frame? Well, it supports his running style. I wouldn't say that's a, that's a problem. I think he's he's pretty well what I would consider pretty much a perfect option size. Uh, you know, no, that's not fair because, you know, we have AR-15, who's really the perfect option size if you want that. But but Dorian Thompson is a very good size for a for an option quarterback. Uh, reasonable developmental fit for the Ravens. So I think it's about where he falls. If he goes to round five or round six, I'd be thrilled if the Ravens picked him up. If he uh, if they had to take him in round three, if that's the only place they can get him, I'm not as excited about the pick. I think there's other guys who, who represent better value. Yeah, I, th- I think round five might be like kind of the sweet spot for him to go. Um, and, you know, you mentioned a little bit about his ability as a runner. And something I, I, I just want to add to that is he has – like an electricity to him when he when he runs with the ball, and it's something that 
not all running quarterbacks have. It is very, I would say, Lamar Jackson-esque. Um, he has some of that stop-start, you know, the short area, quickness, um, agility, suddenness. Um, a lot of the quarterbacks that have the ability to, you know, to kind of pick up some yards, use their athleticism, don't have that unique ability to make a player miss, um, to you know, kind of take what could be like a three-yard gain and turn it into a 30-yard gain. Um, he has that ability. He has that that explosiveness um and he he has just a, a fun electricity to him when he when he touches tucks the ball and then goes with it so i think that's something that's exciting about him there is upside i think as a passer although it's it's not going to be he's not going to be like an elite downfield thrower in my opinion um but i think that he's good enough as a, as a passer to to be someone who can actually you know keep an offense on schedule in, in the nfl all right, great. So we both like him. We'd both be satisfied with a fifth round pick on uh, on uh, DTR. I, I, my number seven guy, I think, is next, right? You've, you've yes. got to, okay. So Jaron Hall of BYU is uh, is my next guy. Six hundred two hundred seven, uh, twenty five already. Yeah. So we're getting into the older guys here. Nine and a half inch hands puts them kind of right at the Mendoza line. You'd want for a for a college quarterback in terms of their their potentially being additional fumbles. Uh, certainly below that. Uh, five years at BYU with very solid stats backing up Zach Wilson and then moved into the starting role the last couple of years and has been good. 110 passer rating is a small step ahead of Hayner in terms of a guy who, who has some similarities. Uh, if you look at some nice plays in here, he had a wonderful look away touchdown pass of 67 yards against Arizona in the 2021 season. And that started off BYU to, to a great season where they ended up being ranked as high as 12th. But uh, he, his 67 yard TD there was one where he's really looking directly at the safety, taking him out of the play. And then he unloads the ball very quickly. And obviously he's, he's reading peripherally because he, he moved too quickly to get that throw off in the same period of time, led the receiver. Well, and the safety was not close enough to, to make a play and it led it to, to a big yak play. So I, I really like to see that in a, in a quarterback. I really hate to see stare downs where the guy's trying to exactly lead a receiver properly. You have to do a, a certain amount of that, but, but, you know, you want to, you want to basically limit that to one-on-one -on -one coverages. You know, sometimes it's not a, it's not a real crime if you do it in, in the red zone and you've got, you know, some specific guy you have to hit and there's nobody who can really impact the play. Otherwise then it's okay. But when you're talking about most places on the field where you have a uh, no limit on the upside of the play, you really don't want to put your receiver in that position. You'd rather give them an opportunity for more yak in terms of hall. I thought he also navigated the pocket. Well, uh, takes off judiciously with his speed. Um, he's one of the few guys who could probably run more than he does. Uh, so he had 148 carries for 657 yards. And as you pointed out, that includes his sacks in 21, 22. Um, he avoids hits like Jackson 2019. This is a guy who heads for the sideline and, and goes out of bounds a lot. So that's a, that's a nice, uh, uh, probably a characteristic you generally want in your quarterback, unless they're DTR or, um, Jackson, uh, or, you know, Kyler Murray or somebody like that. You don't want them taking a lot of chances with their body. Even in Jackson's case, I really don't want him taking those chances. Um, his feet are good enough that when he's flushed to the left, it wasn't death. I like to see that always in a right-handed quarterback. By the way, I don't think there are any left-handed quarterbacks. None that I looked at anyway in this, <laughs> in this I, I didn't see. I didn't see any either. <laughs> uh, one thing that kind of bothered me, and I think, you know, come back to the hand size again, is he throws a wobbly ball. Um, so let's talk about this a little bit. The, the NFL ball 
is slightly larger than the yep. college ball. And there's some variation, I, I, I'm told, but the circumference of the football is one inch more in the NFL. So if you have a problem throwing a wobbly ball in college, it's probably not going to get a lot better in the NFL other than they'll, you know, you'll have good coaching to try and help you hold the football better. But if, you know, one of the things that I think Gruden and other people will talk about is you've got to be able to make a throw off schedule when your when your um, fingers are not on the laces. So if you can't find the laces, you got to be like Ben Roethlisberger, have big hands, just chuck it as it as it falls. Don't spin it in your hands till you have it set properly. Uh, and occasionally that just has to be the way the ball comes out. And I, I think a guy like this is going to have a little bit of trouble. He's at, he's, you know, at the at kind of at the Mendoza line, like I talk. Um, I, I don't think he's the guy for anybody at, at his age, but I think again, a reasonable, cheap backup one contract QB. Yeah. I think, you know, he fits that same profile that we've talked a lot about so far in, in this draft class. Um, he wasn't someone who made my list because when I, what I watched, I didn't watch a lot of him, but I felt like he did not play well under pressure or he didn't quarterback well under pressure. I think he quickly kind of took the the run um, when, when he had the opportunity. Um, and when he did kind of make throws, they did not go well. Um, either he took a bad sack at times, which I didn't see a lot of, he tended to scramble more than take bad sacks. But I think he just, when he was under pressure, he made bad decisions. Um, and, and I don't know if that's something that, you know, is going to, be able to really come out of a quarterback, especially at the next level where you, you are probably under pressure a little bit more than you were in college and you, and you have bigger, more athletic and scarier players running at you. Um, I, th I think he might not have the profile that I would want, even as, as a backup because of that. Um, I think that's something that you need to have, you need to kind of have that ice water in your veins and be cool under pressure. And that's not what I saw out of him. Oh, fair enough. That's a, uh, that's a damning, bit there i wonder if there's some of that could be worked out but uh but that's certainly very damning it's possible yeah so, so we're down to your number six guy i believe right now right yeah so so my number six um and this is one i kind of flip-flopped on a little bit um but i ended up going with tanner mckee out of, out of stanford um and there's some things about him that aren't super attractive you know we talked about big statue in the pocket type quarterback. And, and that's exactly who he is. Um, but he has a live arm. He has kind of like the, the big arm that you can make a lot of throws on the, on the field. Um, kind of reminiscent of maybe like a Brock Osweiler type player um, who, you know, he's big. I think he's like six, six and a half. He's probably a little taller than you really want for a quarterback in the NFL these days. Um, not very mobile, but um, he can definitely sling the ball downfield. Um, I mean, size is something that you, is never really considered to be a bad thing because, you know, you're more resilient potentially in the pocket. You can take some hits, take a little bit more pounding. But um, I, th I think the upside just is with his arm. And, you know, if someone maybe you can work with getting him um, to work on the mechanics a little bit, the footwork, um, become a little bit more quick in his delivery. And I think you might have something that you could work with. Um, I'm not sure how, how high he goes in the draft. Um, I, I think I've heard some buzz as like a late first round. I, I don't see that. Oh, I no way. More, I think he's more <laughs> of like a third to fourth round yeah. player to me. Um, but um, I think there, there's some, there's some traits with him that you can see having um, some sticking value in the NFL. Okay. So, uh, you yeah, know, he has some good qualities. He's born this century. That's always nice. 427, <laughs> 427 of 2000. So it's right. Roughly draft 
night in itself. He'll turn 23, which is not terrible. You mentioned some things about his size. He, he has the unusual characteristic of being very tall with very small hands at, at 9.375. So that, that, that could be an issue. Um, he, he gets rid of the ball very quickly. I'd say he has better accuracy than velocity. And, and I, I, that's, you know, if you, if you want velocity in this draft, you know, DTR is probably your guy, but there's other guys, you know, like hooker and, uh, um, Stroud who have pretty good velocity that, that, that you would want, not that you have availability to get all those guys. Cause you're really talking about who can I get in a late round? Um, but, but Tanner McKee has just pretty average velocity from, from my perspective, but a 2.51 second time to throw is the ball's out quickly. Now, one of the things that's really had to be the case, he's played for a standard Stanford team and you hate to use this term, but I hate the, I also hate the proven winner term that they always mm-hmm. attach to Stetson Bennett. Tanner McKee is a proven loser. He's three and 15 <laughs> in two seasons of Pac-12 play. Uh, you know, just it's some terrible Stanford teams. And, and honestly, that's not such a terrible thing because what it really means if we're talking about him and he's my first honorable mention guy is that he's one of the top quarterbacks available in the entire country despite his team as opposed to because of his team in the, in the case of Bennett or some other players where, where context is really a, really a question. Um, he he kind of reminds me a lot of Joe Flacco as a runner. He's got a little bit more wheels than I expected, but not as much to be a real threat running the football. Yeah. And early in Joe's career, they used to talk about him trying to run for one first down a game to, to, to help what he did in the pocket. But Joe is a pure check down guy. I think Tanner McKee will be just that much more of a, of a, weapon in terms of, of running the ball occasionally. I'm, I've got air quotes on that, if you couldn't tell from my voice. <laughs> um, it, and it would be a stylistic change for the Ravens if he's if he's in there. Um, not sure it would be a terrible thing because I, you know, I hope that Munkin will be adaptable. Whereas, you know, honestly, I think it would have been a fair criticism of Roman to say he probably wouldn't have wanted Tanner McKee on the team because he wouldn't necessarily have yeah. known how to adapt his offense to Tanner McKee. I think Munkin actually would adapt his offense to the player. And uh, and that would be uh, a good thing. Now McKee had had um, did done a good job of avoiding turnovers in college. Uh, I think he will fumble more as he gets sacked in the NFL. But uh, part of why he was able to avoid turnovers, both fumbles and um, interceptions, is very short. A dot seven point eight in two thousand twenty two, which is incredibly short for your uh, average depth of target. Uh, anyway, the more short throws you have of that type, the less you're going to get intercepted and the less you're going to get uh, uh, the risk of fumbles occurring in the pocket because of sacks. So anyway, my, my first honorable mention. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I had him a lot, a lot higher than you did, <laughs> but I, I, I mean, I think you're accurate. With everything you said, um, the, the hand size I think is concerning. Um, I think there is some upside with him, but it's, it's really, um, I think it's is his type of player and profile something that the NFL still is looking for. I think that's that's a really question that we'll see in, in the NFL. And it wouldn't surprise me if if he's someone who slides a lot further than you know some of the expectations. Yeah, he he's really the the archetype, the only guy who's remaining of the Flacco esque large quarterbacks that uh, that dominated the game in the 90s and early 2000s kind of thing. And Flacco was actually kind of the last of his breed. I mean, Roethlisberger, I guess, stayed yeah. around for longer than he did in some way. Oh, I guess Roethlisberger's retired now and Flacco is still around <laughs> in theory, but, uh, but starting at saying as a starter. 
Um, we will come back on part two of the show and talk about the top five, where I'm sure there's going to be a, a quite a lot of discussion. But uh, uh, Gabe, really appreciate having you on. Tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Yeah, um, it's it's a pleasure um, coming on your show as always. Um, you can find me um, at Gabe Fergie on Twitter. That's probably the best way of, of getting in touch. Um, it's it's been a little bit of a rough off season, I think, for for a lot of Ravens fans. There's been a lot of question marks, but um, you know, I'm I'm keeping tabs on what's going on and, and always willing to have a conversation. If you want to reach out, I'm willing to have a, a chat with you about the Ravens. We're about the Orioles. We're into the baseball season now, so yeah. go O's. Exciting game today. Did you see Rutschman's homer? I saw the I saw the highlight of it. Uh, mm-hmm. It was very very fun to see that he's having a great start of the season. Him him and Mountcastle both. So it's exciting to see that. Yeah, he really is. If, if, if the last couple of days have been very frustrating against the A's for mo- much of these games, uh, you know, after just a, a seemingly unbelievable high from the Mountcastle nine RBI game, we got to go see that. Grayson Rodriguez oh, wow. started. You know, everything is is uh, is exactly the way you want it, except Grayson didn't really pitch that well, and then. A reliever comes in, I forget which it was both, and gave up all those runs with the bases. <laughs> that sucked. But then they came back and won, so that was good. Anyway, uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up with a DM. They're always open on Twitter. Topics are open, but that one play is still available. Love to talk to you about that. And if you don't have an idea for that one play, I'll help you. I'll help you find one from Ravens history because there's a ton of really important plays for Ravens history that have not been taken yet. But I'm also interested in hearing your other topics. Just uh, off-season is the time. I've got a little more time to, to schedule pods. Would love to hear from you. And in particular, things are going to open up in May uh, after the draft coverage kind of cools down a little bit. And there'll be lots of opportunities from then until the start of camp to, to fit in pods that uh, that are, are user or uh, listener-driven, I should say. So would uh, would love to have you on. Gabe, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ken. Really enjoy it. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.